Hello, my friends. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to the Life is Hard, God is Good podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller, and I created this podcast to be real about the hardships in life and find God's truth in the midst of it. Because the truth is that no matter what we face in this life, He is good. Today, we are talking about what God desires from us. And before we dive in, I want to give three disclaimers. One, we will be in the Old Testament today quite a bit. Before you decide to close out of this app or stop listening, I want you to know that many people do not like studying the Old Testament, so you are not alone in that. But I'm not going to lie, I love the Old Testament. I have to remind myself sometimes to read the New Testament too. Maybe you've seen my Instagram story about Bible study, so you might know that I'm currently in the midst of Joshua, Psalms, and part of the King study. We're doing a study of Joel right now. So much of what I share comes from my studies in the Old Testament. And honestly, I get so fired up about the stories from the Old Testament, so I hope that my excitement for God's Word carries over to you. And two, the Old Testament was indeed written in the ancient times by people with a very different culture. For example, we're going to hear about some very violent and vicious acts from the kings. In those days, justice was carried out in the physical sense. If a nation or person was not following the Lord, they could be killed. The Lord Almighty has that right since he created all things and he gave them the law to follow. And actually, in comparison to neighboring ancient civilizations, the law and justice system of ancient Israel was very tame. However, Today, on this side of the cross and under the new covenant in which God does not simply dwell in a tent, but rather the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we don't slaughter people who sin. That's not what we do. But we have a spiritual focus rather than a physical focus. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So with telling stories of the ancient kings, I am in no way encouraging you to kill people. <laughs> and three, the Old Testament and New Testament may be old, but they are no less relevant today than on the day that those books were written. God's word is true for all people for all time. The times and names of the rulers change, but God does not change and his truth does not change. So listen up. What is God's desire for us? Because we want to please God, right? Right. We think that we will please God sometimes by doing the right things. And God does desire our obedience. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says that to obey is better than sacrifice. He wants our obedience more than sacrifice. Because if you think about it, sacrifice makes up for disobedience. In the Old Testament, when Israelites sinned, they had to sacrifice an animal to atone for their sins. As Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for our sin. So it's just better to obey him in the first place than to sacrifice and make up for the disobedience. That's God's desire for us? All that he wants for us to obey his rules and laws? Not murder people, say encouraging things, sing songs, have community, be truthful, go to church on Sunday? I'm not sure about you, but I feel like something is missing. We are to have a relationship with God, not just do religious practices. So what's missing? To help us out, Let me tell you the story of two kings, and I want you to tell me which king does what the Lord desires from us. And these kings are from the time when the kingdom was split. There was a northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah, where Jerusalem is. So our first king we're going to look at is King Jehu, and he was anointed king over Israel, so the northern kingdom, 
And when he was anointed, he was told, You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. And that's in Second Kings 9. And King Jehu carries out this obedience to destroy the house of Ahab. So this sounds really intense, but if you look at Ahab's story, he does evil in the sight of the Lord. He was one of, if not the most evil king that reigned in Israel. You may have heard stories about him and his wife Jezebel. So immediately after being anointed, King Jehu gets to work at killing off the house of Ahab. Second Kings 10 tells us that even when he met the relatives of Ahab on the road, that he spared none of them. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out. So he had completely destroyed the house of Ahab. And at that time, there was a lot of Baal worship. So again, and this is in 2 Kings 10, he, with great cunning, destroyed the worshipers of Baal. He demolished the pillar of Baal, and thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. And that's in 2 Kings 10, 28. So he did all these amazing things where he destroyed those who were against the Lord. And he had great zeal for God and doing what he had commanded him. But then the very next verses get me. So this is 2 Kings 10, 29 through 31. It says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. So he had idols that he was worshiping. It goes on to say, And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what was right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit, shall sit on the throne of Israel, which was accomplished because God always does what he says he's going to do. So the next four generations of Jehu's family reigned over Israel. And then it finishes by saying, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. So his heart wasn't fully the Lord's. He still had idols. He did all these things to obey God, but his heart was kind of distracted by these idols that he still had. Okay, and the second king we're going to look at is King Jehoshaphat. And he was a king of Judah. And also, just a heads up, he was before King Jehu, because we're going to hear some connections with Ahab. So this is during Ahab's lifetime. So King Jehoshaphat's father was Asa, and he was the king of Judah. So when his father died, King Jehoshaphat became the king of Judah. In Second Chronicles 17, 3-6, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. King David was a man after God's own heart. And he did not seek the Baals, but sought the Lord of his father and walked by his commands, not according to the practices of Israel. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor and abundance. His mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways, and he again removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So he got rid of the idols too. So he was following God and walking in his ways and destroying idols. However, he made some bad alliance choices with Ahab because Ahab was the king in Israel at the time that Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And in 2 Chronicles 18, King Jehoshaphat actually marries off his son to King Ahab's daughter. You remember King Ahab, the evil one whose house is later completely demolished by King Jehu? So this brings trouble on the southern kingdom of Judah and Jehoshaphat's future generations because he aligned with an evil king. His heart was fully the Lord's, though. He walked in the commands all the days of his life, took down idols. And what is said of King Jehoshaphat later in 2 
Chronicles twenty thirty two. It says he walked in the ways of Asa his father. He did not turn away from, turn away from it, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. And Second Chronicles twenty two nine, uh, this is talking about Ahaziah. It says he is the grandson of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So, King Jehu and King Jehoshaphat kind of had opposite issues. King Jehu followed the Lord completely, killed off the house of Ahab, got rid of that evil, and but his issue was having idols and not following God with his whole heart. King Jehoshaphat didn't avoid the evil kings. In fact, he aligned with King Ahab, but his heart was fully the Lord's and he got rid of idols so that his heart was fully God's and he was following his commands and walking in them. So when you're hearing about these two kings, which king pleased the Lord? King Jehu or King Jehoshaphat? Doing right things and obeying God is good. But let me ask you something. As our relationship with God is like a husband and a wife, because marriage, earthly marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God, of how Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So our relationship with God is a beautiful picture of what earthly marriage is supposed to look like. So if you're married, which of these two options would you desire more? Option one, the spouse who does the dishes, puts gas in the car, budgets money well, cleans and cooks, makes money, provides for the family. But they're having affairs off and on with somebody or a couple different people, but they do anything you want them to. Option number two is a spouse who doesn't always clean or spend money wisely. They don't always get things done the way that you'd like but they are 100% completely and utterly devoted to you. They spend time hearing about your heart and how you're doing, and you know that they only have eyes for you. Which do you think God wants from us? God really wants our hearts. When Jesus was here on earth, he would often talk about the Pharisees and how they were whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are filled with death. Doing things for, doing the right things can be for an appearance, and that can be an idol. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We want our hearts to be fully the Lord's, not anyone else's. And obedience comes from following God's commands with your whole heart. When our heart is fully God's, when we are loving God fully, we desire what he desires and our will becomes whatever he wills. We, he wants for him to be our God and for us to be his people. In the Old Testament, so many times he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. They will be my people and I will be their God, which means giving him our whole hearts, being faithfully devoted to him, following his commands and giving him all our praise of which he is worthy are you more focused on what you can do for God or the heart that you have for him? Do you have things in your life that distract you from giving your heart fully to the Lord? When our heart is his, we follow him and his commandments. But when we have idols in our life, it makes it harder to follow God because we are distracted and we have other things that we are giving our attention and our praise to rather than the one who deserves it. Our God is a jealous God. He is not jealous of us as if we have something he can't have. He created us and everything in this world. Rather, he is jealous for our attention, of which he is worthy. He is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. 
idols distract us from that. And idols, I want to tell you a couple of different passages that give us a good picture of idols. In Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 23, I'm just going to pick out a couple of verses from there to read from. And this is verse 6. It says, This is what the Lord, the King of Israel and its Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, says, I am the first and the last. There is no God but me. Who, like me, can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things. And then it gives a picture of someone who makes an idol. All who, makes idols, all who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witness do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshippers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are humans. They will all assemble and stand. They will all be startled and put to shame. And it gives a person who's forming an idol. A person can use it for fuel. He takes some of it and warms himself. He also kindles a fire and breaks, bakes bread. He even makes it into a god and worships it. He makes an idol from it and bows down to it. He burns half of it in a fire and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I see the blaze. So this is all with, he carved an idol out of fire or out of wood and then used the rest of the wood to fuel the fire to cook his food over. And then in verse 17, it says, he makes a God or an idol with the rest of it. He bows down to it and worships. He prays, save me for you are my God. Such people do not comprehend and cannot understand. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their minds so they cannot understand. No one comes to his senses. No one has the perception or insight to say, I burned half of it in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Should I make something detestable with the rest of it? Should I bow down to a block of wood? And in Exodus 32, it gives us the story of when the Israelites are around Mount Sinai. So this is after they've been delivered through the Red Sea and delivered from the Egyptians. And Moses is on Mount Sinai. And they create the golden calf to worship. And how they do that is they bring their gold, their jewelry to Aaron, and then they form the gold to make the shape of a calf. So what we can see from these passages is what idols are like for us today. Because in today's world, idols aren't usually things carved, carved images or foreign gods, though they can be. However, in the modern Western world, idols are usually things like people or relationships, our performance in school or work, meeting societal standards, things like that. But in general, what we can see from idols in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and our lives today, idols are things that we create in the image of things already created. We're not making anything new. It's not something that's already there. It's something that we make. Idols are not worthy of praise. There's no reason that they should be elevated above God. There's nothing better about them than who God is. Idols are also things that we give either to make them or it's a sacrifice on our part to please them. Sacrifices don't fulfill promises either. We have these ideas of things that the idols are going to fulfill but they don't. They're empty promises. And idols pass away. They are not things that last forever. In contrast, we can see that God created the heavens and the earth. He created us. He created all things. He already was, is, and will be. He is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And he gives himself 
for us to be with him instead of us sacrificing to be with idols or to please an idol. God actually sacrificed himself to make a way for us. And unlike idols who don't fulfill promises or give empty promises, God actually fulfills his promises. He says what's going to happen and then it happens. And unlike idols that pass away, God is everlasting and cannot be taken away from us. Only we run away from him, but he cannot be taken away from us. So why don't we just go to God? What are things that you are striving for and working for and sacrificing yourself for? What are you worshiping and giving praise to that you are elevating above God? What fulfillment are you looking for that is leaving you empty? What is distracting you from him? Idols are things that are already created good by God, but we elevate them above God. Like in the ancient times, idols need to be taken down. And there are three common idols of today that I want to talk about. There's the idol of marriage, the idol of good performance, and the idol of societal standards of beauty. So marriage is a good thing. God created marriage. But when we elevate it above God, it's no longer, it's not in the right motivation. Marriage kind of gives us this, some people give marriage the power to fill this promise that you won't be lonely. But even when you get married, you can feel lonely. And we think that being performing well in school or at work, that that will fulfill a promise that you will be good enough. Once you do that, you will be good enough. And societal standards of beauty, once you meet those, you know, you will be acceptable. And we give ourselves to these idols. We sacrifice ourselves to be, to have a really good marriage. We give ourselves fully to have a good marriage because we want that to succeed so that you won't be lonely. And to have good performance and grades and work, we give our time and our resources and sacrifice so that we can be the best at school or at our job. And in order to meet societal standards of beauty, we give what we eat, we give our exercise, we give our hair and makeup and our time to meet those standards. But even when you get married, you can feel lonely. Even when you succeed in school and work, there will always be someone out there who is better than you, or you won't feel, you'll feel like a failure in other areas of life. Even when you meet societal standards of beauty, it's not going to be good enough for you. And there's still going to be people who don't accept you. These things distract us from God, who is already with us. He lives within us and will never leave you or forsake you. He already covers our inadequacies so that we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to strive for that. And he already accepts us as we are without changing what we look like. So why are we running to these things? How can we fully give God our hearts? Obedience comes from a heart that is fully the Lord's. What idols are distracting you from God? How can you rid of those idols to give yourself fully to the Lord? So thank you for joining me today. You are so loved and I can't wait for you to join me next week. If you love what you're hearing, please be sure to rate and write reviews on Apple Podcasts as well as sharing this episode with your friends. I would love to connect with you on social media. You can find encouragement and updates on my Instagram account at Life is Hard, God is Good podcast. Much love.